0: Welcome to the learning to slay the beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome like anxiety, health and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. I've spoken in previous episodes about my family's experience with a disorder called PANDAS, Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections. This often presents with various symptoms like OCD, anxiety, tics, aggression, regression, among others. It's also the subject of my middle grade novel Pendulum by S.E. German, which is a heartwarming story about an 11-year-old that struggles with PANDAS. This This week, I am so thrilled to welcome Dr. Kenneth Bach, a world renowned integrative medicine doctor. Dr. Kenneth Bach has accumulated 35 years of experience diagnosing the root cause of chronic illnesses and restoring balance to his patients immune systems. He founded Bach Integrative Medicine and focuses on the treatment of autism and co-occurring infections, pandas pans, a tabby, tick-borne illnesses, and adult conditions such as chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and heart disease. Dr. Bach has also recently released a book titled Brain Inflamed, which is a great resource that we will talk with him about today. In this conversation, we also get into different types of treatments for Pandas Pans or a Tabby, uh, how Pandas Pans moves from a strep infection to brain inflammation, as well as some of the things that we can be considering as we're moving forward with treatment for our children. So again, as part of Pandas Pans Awareness, this month I'm bringing a number of episodes on Pandas Pans, and here we have Dr. Kenneth Bach to dig right in to the issues. Enjoy this episode. So welcome, Dr. Kenneth Bach, to the podcast. I'm so happy to connect with you today.
1: It's my pleasure to be with you, for sure. Thank you so much.
0: Great. So, why don't we start? I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with you, but if you want to give a quick overview of your background and then how you got interested in treating pandas, pans, autism, and other chronic conditions.
1: Well, firstly, it seems like ever since I uh, finished uh, my residency in '82, I'm dating myself. uh, I've uh, always been interested in uh, looking at the potential contributing underlying factors of people's illnesses. I was never satisfied with just giving a medicine or prescribing a surgery or something. Um, And so even when I started out, I started out with a lot of kids with recurrent ear infections and people with chronic fatigue. And so it was always this question of, okay, what's really going on? And nowadays, as one of my friends and patients said, look under the hood of every patient I deal with and figure out what's going under the hood, so to speak. And so you know, I started out in you know in my practice in eighty three in uh, Rhinebeck, and now i 'm in Red Hook and which is up about two hours north of new york city and uh basically starting with this kind of in those days we called it a holistic family practice because i'm bored in family medicine and um but as things evolved, I got into more and more complex chronic illness. Because I really uh, became more like a medical detective, looking for answers, looking for things that were causing people to be sick, and obviously helping them to feel better, but not only just doing band aid approaches, but obviously trying to remediate what was really going on. And uh, I was always interested in the immune system. So in 1997, I wrote my first book called The Road to Immunity. how to survive and thrive in a toxic world, which really actually is still quite appropriate today. Obviously there've been advances since then in the immune system, but uh, a lot of that stuff is still quite relevant. And I was talking in there uh, um, about the, uh, a little bit about Th1, uh, Th2, and uh, uh, which is these T helper cells and a little bit, about transfer factor, which are these immune factors, uh, cellular immune factors that connote immunity and things. And, uh, I learned somebody who read it, uh, uh, talked to me about transfer factors. There was a, uh, actually transfer factors that were coming out then that you could take. So I became very interested in what they could do. And, and I did a lot of research and where they may play a role in immune modulation in terms of balancing the immune system and to try to Cut the story a little shorter. In 1998, I got asked to speak at an autism conference, and I was the last speaker at 5 o'clock. I figured most of the people would be gone already. Uh, But lo and behold, they didn't know me, but they knew they found this work, of transfer factor my work, uh, and autism. They were very interested in what was going on with the immune system. So I basically gave uh, a lecture on the transfer factor research I was doing, the, it was about, yeah, it turns out it was probably 1,000 people at the conference. I'm sure by the time I was lecturing, there's at least 700, 800 remaining. So they were interested in what I was saying. And uh, somehow that community is a very small community. And they parents with autistic kids started bringing them to me uh, by literally hundreds and eventually thousands from all over the country. And then eventually all over the world. And in my integrative medicine approach and my pros for the immune system, because a lot of these kids have immune dysregulation Uh, really helped a lot of kids. And, you know, it's a community that word spreads. And so all of a sudden I had thousands and thousands of kids in the autism spectrum, probably more than most people in the country. Um, So that was how I got into autism. And then after treating autism for a decade, at least, if not more, parents would come and bring me and ask me and say, Hey, can you, can you, uh, you know, maybe give us some advice on our other child. They're not in the spectrum, but they have anxiety or depression or mood, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing more neurotypical kids with mood disorders, anxiety, depression, OCD, you know, not always bipolar, but certainly sometimes mood dysregulation. And um, that's what moved me into the whole pans, pandas, and what I term in in the book, brain inflamed, a tabby, which is infection-triggered. autoimmune brain inflammation, which is really what I think it is. And so I think it's, I like that acronym myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's how uh, it came to be. So over the next decade, I'm treating more and more kids like that, seeing more and more kids with brain inflammation, various infections. I'm up in the Hutch- uh, Dutchess County. So we have tons of tick-borne disease here. And I see people with tick-borne disease from all over because of my expertise in that. And that can contribute to brain inflammation. And so it just that's it just came to a point where a few years ago I said, "You know what, it's time. I didn't want to write another book right away because I, I want you know it's not I know some of my colleagues will just you write a book and it's, it does really well and you write another one, but I really wanted to have something to say and i I felt like after a decade of treating these more neurotypical kids with with brain inflammation that uh, there was things I wanted to say, and that's what led to brain inflame basically so. I hope it's not too long-winded, but give you a sense of how I got there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, that is perfect, and yes, I loved Brain Inflamed, and I know many people who do listen to the podcast are familiar with pandas, pans, or a tabby, um, as you've mentioned, which I think is a great name because it really explains what the actual disorder is in the title, and so it makes it a lot easier for parents, um, you know, to explain to to different people um, what. actually is, but I wondered if you could briefly explain PANDAS or PANS and kind of how do we go from a strep infection to, or another infection in the case of PANS, but to brain inflammation and, you know, just to help those that are unaware of the process. Yeah.
1: So that's, that's a very good question, Sarah. And, and basically it's, there are two mechanisms, but the most, the one that's been thought of the most for the most years is very akin to rheumatic fever, which, if anybody remembers rheumatic fever, that you get a strep in infection and then you get a heart condition or joint inflammation after the strep infection. Because when you get the strep infection, the immune system reacts to the strep, but what it does is it reacts to a very specific part of the strep. It's, it's a tiny peptide, a little piece of a protein called an epitope, P P I T O P epitope. And so what happens is you get these B cells and these helper T cells involved and you get this normal kind of immune response that you get to help fight the infection. That's what we do. That's what the immune system does. Mm-hmm. But in this case, in addition to the appropriate immune response to the strep, that epitope on the strep, there is a piece of the brain called in, 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 a, in an area deep in the brain called the basal ganglia which is responsible for movements and mood um, that looks exactly like that little epitope on the strep. So when these antibodies that the immune cells make to fight the strep go circulating, looking for the strep, they see what they think is a strep, but it's a piece of the basal ganglia. So they react to that and you get inflammation of the basal ganglia. And then you get the symptoms related to the kind of inflammation autoimmunity reaction in that part of the brain that controls movement and mood. So basically you have uh, ticks, you have chorea, which is actually these really can be flailing movements of the body, the arms or legs. Uh, in the, in the old days, rheumatic fever was called Sydenham chorea. This is a little more subtle chorea. Sometimes it manifests as these very subtle piano like fingers. Like if you, if you put, if you have them stretch their hands out, you'll see these piano like movements of this, of the outstretched hands and fingers. Uh, in addition to tics, which could be motor tics, you know, the head, if I, if we were in video, I could show the head shaking or shoulder shaking or um, sometimes a vocal tic, like, <clears throat> you know, or, you know, sometimes even words, you know, sometimes it's pretty, uh, can be loud. It can be grunts. It can be, uh, it, it can manifest in so many ways. In addition to other Mood disorders like anxiety, depression, OCD is a huge one. Mood dysregulation based on not the actual strep infection in the brain. So this is what your listeners have to understand. It's actually related to immune dysregulation. As Sue, uh, as Sue Sweetow, uh, who used to be with the NIMH, uh, said, and I love uh, what, what she, how she called it, it's a misdirected immune response. An immune response that should be directed against strep, but is misdirected against an epitope of the brain or basal ganglia specifically, that looks just like the strep.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and and is kind of a easier way, I think, to explain it and and follow what's really going on. And so you bring up the immune system. And I really liked in your book, Brain Inflamed, the concept and explanation around the immune kettle. So I think it really helps to break down the reason why some people react differently to to triggers like strep. So I know I get that question as a parent a lot, like, well, a lot of people get strep. How come, you know, your son is seeing these different issues? And so I thought it'd be really helpful if you could walk some of the listeners through this um, immune kettle concept.
1: Yeah. So the immune kettle, it's interesting because it's something that I actually wrote about first in the Road to Immunity in 97. I actually called it the immune kettle. Um, And I, I kind of brought it back because it's so appropriate. It's so, it really does tell it all really, because, you know, most people would say in answer to your question, Sarah, that it's basically a genetic predisposition, which is very important. So if you have a certain genetic makeup you may handle the strep in that way. You follow? In other words, you Mm -hmm. may, you may manifest on your basal ganglia, the epitope that looks like the strep because of your genetics. Okay. That's the most obvious explanation. But in the immune kettle, what it's talking about is in addition to the infection like strep or, or or in pans, uh, you know, mycoplasma or Lyme or Bartonella, for instance, or a virus that's not strep but causes the same thing. It's, there are other factors other than just the infection and just the genetic predisposition. So what I do is I layer this immune kettle, uh, and there's all these layers. There's the nutritional deficiencies or insufficiencies where it may not be frankly deficient, but you're insufficient for optimal function. There are allergies or sensitivities. Uh, there, uh, there are there may maybe immune deficiencies even. Um, there are toxicants, you know, whether they be chemical exposures or mercury lead or cadmium or whatever, there are hormonal imbalances. And, you know, at at the top of the, and there there are obviously the the infections, and at the top is usually uh, stress, psychosocial stress, which frequently is what throws people over the immune kettle into symptoms, and which is what unfortunately many people and doctors look at as the only thing, oh, it's all stress. But the reality is, if you could deal with the various layers in the immune kettle, make make people immune sufficient in all these different ways. Deal with allergies and sensitivities. Uh, obviously, treat the infections. Try to detox the toxicants. Try to balance the immune imbalances, whether they be thyroid or adrenal, for example. Um, all those kind of things, if you can deal with those, the whole concept is you then lower those Layers in the kettle, and you go down in the kettle. And the lower you are in the kettle, you can't affect the genetic predisposition, yeah. although you can affect uh, the expression uh, uh, of the genetic expression, and that's what we call epigenetics. So, it used to be genetics was fair to complete. Now we know that if the genetics, the genes code for an enzyme, and the enzyme is going to be less efficient than it normally would be we can either give cofactors to make the enzyme work better, or we can make the product, give the product like methylfolate. If that enzyme making folate to methylfolate is, uh, diminished in its activity, we can actually give methylfolate to bypass that block. So we can modulate genetics in that way, genetic expression, although we can't change the actual genes, but the other ways you can, you can affect nutritional status. You can, uh, you can modulate diet and take, away, and take away things like sugars and allergens, gluten and dairy we frequently do because they can be inflammatory. You, um, you know, on and on, you can do those things, lower the patient in the immune kettle so that then if they get an infection or then if they get a huge stress, they rise up in the immune kettle, but not to the level of overflow. And so they may not get symptoms where somebody else does. So you understand it's a very important concept and it's really helped me in helping people get better because you're not just treating like, okay, pans, is a tabby. Infection, you have to, that's all you do is treat the infection. No, there's other areas. There are other host factors that are very, very important to deal with.
0: I wrote a book. I'd love for you to check it out. Pendulum by S.E. German is available now. Pendulum is a heartwarming story that follows a young boy who experiences mental health challenges like anxiety, OCD and depression, ADHD and tics following an infection. It turns out he has a little known disorder called PANDAS. The book follows the young boy as he struggles with his health issues, as well as regular middle grade issues, and it can act as a wonderful catalyst between you and your children to talk about mental health issues and other things that are going on in their life. Pendulum is available online through Amazon Worldwide Barnes & Noble, the Friesen Press Bookstore, and a number of other online retailers worldwide. And you can check out chapter one, the audio version of Pendulum for free on the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast in episode 64. I hope you enjoy Pendulum by S.E. German and let me know what you think. So is that basically then how you structure your treatment approach is kind of breaking it down into the kettle and then attacking kind of each level?
1: Yeah, I try to, well, first of all, I see a patient, it's usually an hour and it's supposed to be an hour and a half. A lot of times, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but unfortunately for my schedule and the people in it, it can be more. Yeah. So people are so complex. I mean, sometimes it sometimes takes two hours and, um, you know, I try to have my schedulers really kind of understand because people come with stacks of records from seeing three neurologists and 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 a rheumatologist and an endocrinologist you know on and on Mm -hmm. and i need to look at the records and i need to look at the labs because i don't like to repeat things that i don't have to for sure so it it, and they're very complex histories and i have patients with crazy crazy uh difficult complex chronic conditions and i i I, I mean i i like to tackle them you know i I look thankfully i think i feel like i've gotten really good at it it's it it interests me, and uh, and, and, and helping them to get better is usually gratifying. But it takes time. And then the tackling the different layers in the immune kettle, I'm directed by the detailed history and potentially previous labs to where I need to go. I don't get the same thing forever. I don't believe in this thing of called protocols, mm. Dr. protocol that you get the same test for everybody. Yeah, certainly there's, re- there's some cases, tests you're going to get for, e- for each person. But not just get every single test for everybody because I, I, I like to direct it to what I think is going on or what could be contributing. You don't always know. So, yeah, so I am tackling the various layers in the immune kettle and uncovering what I think is contributing and then tackling in terms of remediating them. That's the thing. So, every treatment plan, yeah, there's definitely overlap in some of them. Obviously, I'm going to make dietary modifications, they, they may be different dietary modifications. and. People get nutritional supplements. Many might get meds, antimicrobials of some kind, anti-inflammatories. And, you know, some may get immune modulators, transfer factors. Others might get something called IVIG, which is the most potent immune modulator I have. Um, and uh, that I reserve for the, the sickest of, of, of the kids.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um So that makes a lot of sense and that, you know, you're kind of following their history and, and what they're presenting and not just, yeah, it's not like a rule book. Um so one thing that really stuck out to me a quote from the book when you were talking about the kids um, that do have a tabby is in the introduction is while they might get better they never get well and so I feel like that is definitely the situation that we're in my son um, has pandas and has had it for about five years now he um, had it untreated for about a year and a half so we weren't able to access you know any kind of antibiotics we couldn't find a doctor willing to treat and then when he did, it was only a three-week course that was kind of a trial through a pediatrician. Um, And then we've seen some big improvements there. Then we're also working with a naturopath. Um, You know, he's been gluten and dairy-free. So really, we feel like we have made it through a number of the Layers in the kettle and, um, you know, including supplements and then attacking kind of that environmental one. We recently uncovered some mold toxicity, but what we're still seeing and I know a lot of parents are in a similar situation is the flares right that we we see kind of like a, you know, generally, okay, he's still maybe got a little mood situations, a little bit of ticks, But then all of a sudden, we'll have those flares come up. And I'm just wondering if you can explain why flares are still plaguing some of these children. And, and, you know, do we kind of start all over again with treatment once they happen or, or how you handle them in your practice?
1: Well, you wouldn't have to start all over with treatment but i I would say i have many people that come to me and say and they've seen a lot of people and like they said they've done some diet change some supplements they say we've done everything and quite frankly same thing with with kids in the spectrum we've done everything well the, the truth is probably they haven't done everything because i think my armamentarium is you know hopefully a lot more expansive than most Mm-hmm. and so when i usually see these kids i find things that need to be addressed like let's say for your son i'm not going to get into all the details yeah. now Obviously, we don't have the time yeah and, you know and i'm this is not about treatment just so you know this is more general but mm-hmm. you know so who knows maybe maybe he needs a longer trial of antibiotics maybe he needs different antibiotics um because uh, in in addition to the quote maybe there's something tick-borne going you know, there may, maybe there's mycoplasma. So that's one thing. And uh, maybe he needs antifungals because he was on antibiotics, you know, you have to deal with the microbiome. So I'm sure the naturopath has done some of those things. But, you know, um, it's really a matter of that sometimes people are not treated long enough, which is very common uh, and, and a problem because they can recur. Um, sometimes they need uh, a next level treatment like the IVIG. I, I mean, I only do that in the in kids that you know. I got to do that in kids that are, let's say have missed school for a year or two, or really are not seeing their friends, or really are you know so such mood dysregulation with aggression that they're almost homicidal or depressed and suicidal. You know, that, that then you you're talking about IVIG because which is which is the injection of immune globulins that essentially quiet the neuroinflammation, the autoimmune in the brain. That's what they do. And it's very expensive. It's two-day. It's a high dose. It's not the low dose you give for uh, immune deficiency. So it's high dose. You can have side effects, headaches, nausea, vomiting, like a flu-like thing, you know, a day or two after. Um, it's a blood product. So theoretically, it could um, transmit something, although it's tested for everything. And researchers tell me that since 1991 when they changed the preparation where nothing could ever survive. So I'm very confident that it's okay. It's a, it's a heavy, you know, it's a large molecule. So it's a it's a solute load. So you have to really make sure they get um, hydrated well. So we hydrate. So, it take, you know, we do it over six to eight hours. It's a long treatment. And we have rooms with, uh, you know, couches and chairs and TVs especially for that um but sometimes kids need that you know and i i don't take it lightly because you know if it's covered by insurance it's great it's not always covered by insurance but you know for the really sick kids that that is the thing that helps them get better for you know a lot of times it's that they may not have had everything diagnosed and treated so although they found pandas there may be some other things there that have not been dealt with there may be some immune modulatory treatments You run low dose immunotherapy, but there's low dose naltrexone. There's anti inflammatory. You know, know, there's so many things. And have the toxicants been been looked at? Have the hormones been looked at in ways? I don't know. So, if the immune kettle, you know, so when they come in, a lot of times it's just diet and supplements, and that's just not enough. Mm That's the thing. And naturopaths, I love naturopaths, but, you know, a lot of them may be diet and supplements, but there may be other things. And it may have to be pharmaceuticals you know, that's sometimes what's needed. And it may have to be IVs. You know, we do various types of IVC, glutathione, fastalcholine, you know, oxidative therapies. These are things that can really make a difference. So I I just want you to know that where you are, if you're still getting flares, it's not like you have to start over. But if you saw someone like myself, he or she, or let's say, I'll speak in in the eye term, I would take it from where your child was and move forward, not having to repeat everything. But I would be very surprised uh, if I wouldn't find other things. Because when I said, you know, that they, you know, that that quote, on, I can't remember exactly where it was in the book, well, they may get better, they never get well. Some of them do get well. And so Mm -hmm. I I, I usually don't like to generate, generalize. Um, But I think I was probably trying to make the point that it's, that this is a, it's a long battle, so to speak. You know, I mean, it's not like uh, ten days of antibiotics and they're done. It just doesn't work that way. Most of the time, they need at least a month. He had three weeks. Usually, they need at least a month. But sometimes, you know, with rheumatic fever, kids are treated with prophylactic antibiotics until till they're eighteen or, or twenty one. So sometimes you may need years of it. Now, I don't love that, and you know, you have to give all the protection for the liver and, and the kidneys, and you and you have to, uh, tr- you know, obviously protect the gut. So we do all that, but it really depends. And sometimes you can you can uh, move from antibiotics to to herbal antimicrobials. And then a lot of times we may go to homeopathic protocols specifically for various infections. You know, in addition to pandas, you know, in the tick-borne, then there's Epstein-Barr that can be in there that gets reactivated with all this. So there are so many things to consider that I would just, I wouldn't leave it that they never, you know, so wherever that was taken out of, I, I would say that I don't, that's not how I uh, go in my practice, that they never get well. I, I, no, I really no, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was in the intro kind of, I think, to, to pique everybody's um, interest in terms of your different approach. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I didn't uh, mean that. Oh, yeah. While was-
1: well, they might get better, and never get well. That would be like somebody got treated with a course of antibiotics. Yeah. Period, but they never really got well
0: yeah, and that just spoke to me because yes. I felt like, oh, yeah, I've seen so many families yeah. Yeah. and and that's where we are at where I feel like, you know, we're doing good, but it's not we're not there. We're not kind of, I think, that baseline where where we'd like to be. So that actually makes a lot of sense, I think
1: no, I get now I get it because i I would never that that to me is I, I I know a point I was making, but it wasn't based on the really comprehensive integrative medicine treatment. Because yeah. my goal is to get kids well. And I get, you know, listen, I have a lot of the kids in college, you never know they had autism. Kids in college, you never know they had Pans pandas pand- anymore because they are better, you know. But, it you know, it, it took a while. It takes a while when mm-hmm. the really sickest ones, and they don't get better with just a, a short course of don't Even I say three weeks, which is obviously longer than 10 days. But still, that may not have been enough for your child. Can't say mm-hmm. it.
0: Are you interested in having a published author speak in your classroom or at your community event? I'd be interested in speaking about my new novel, Pendulum by S.E. German, the writing process, mental health, Panda's Pans, podcasting, and more. Contact me at reallifeprojectco at gmail.com for both in-person and online bookings. Yeah. And I know in the book, you talked about the case of Georgia, where she like it was caught fairly early, I think. And does that sometimes a child, um, the parent has noticed sooner that this is what's going on and gets the treatment?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, helpful. And, and uh, her mother was very, very educated. She knew a lot about um, uh, nutrition and supplements and uh she found out be about me very early which I think was helpful you know I'm not to pat myself on the back but because I know this and you know I wasn't going to poo-poo it and it was as there's uh, a video she was she she was poo-pooed the mother was told it's garden variety anxiety you know mm-hmm. and she said this is not it's not garden variety of anxiety my kid has totally went through a personality change so she you know Luckily, she was in the position. They had the funds to pursue what they had to do. They had the, they would drive hours. It didn't matter, you know, and, and we got her soon uh, on the appropriate antibiotics and the anti-inflammatories and got her IVIG. And this was, in Georgia, it was only one, which was great. Sometimes it's only one, which is the best. Sometimes it takes three, four, five, six, or whatever. So it can be a longer process. But in Georgia, she responded to just one IVIG. And, you know, now she's just great. I mean, and uh, so, yes, it's a uh, uh, the earlier one of the reasons uh, I wrote the book is because, you know, as uh, I get older and I really feel like I want to kind of, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of put it out. This book really put out my philosophy and my approach and and it was to educate not, I mean, it also was read by lots of practitioners and physicians, et cetera, but it was to educate parents so that they could get treatment earlier because it's much easier to heal the kids when they're inflamed early rather than if you let inflammation linger for years and years, you start to get what's called neurodegeneration. You know, I mean, obviously they're not going to get Parkinson's, but in, in adults, you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, yeah, that's all evidence of neuro neurodegeneration where the nervous system starts to degenerate and you know the whole goal is to get the the uh, immune imbalance early so that uh, you can you can prevent irreversible changes and um, and I'm not being discouraging in any way but I do think it's it's easier the earlier you get it. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't help people who have been affected for years and years. I get a lot of those people, as you can imagine.
0: Mm-hmm. And you can
1: really help them. But it's harder and it takes longer. You know, there's a dictum in integrative medicine. There's this kind of principle that, you know, it's kind of how long you've been sick is how long it may take you to get better. Thankfully, a lot of times it's quicker than that length of time. But, you know, people who come in ex- have an expectation of getting better in, in, in a week when they've been sick for years and years, obviously that's it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, that does make sense for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned the idea of some practitioners reading the book. And I think I was really thinking that as I went through it, like, Oh my goodness, I really wish that some of the doctors that we've seen, um, you know, and, and many others within Canada, within the U.S. would read this as well in terms of understanding how to approach this, because there are so many doctors that I speak to that, just really aren't sure how to help us or, or how, how to proceed at all. Um, have you had some success in, in doctors that you um, are aware of taking on the approach? And I guess for those that aren't, do you have any ideas about how to get more people on board for treatment?
1: Well, firstly, I, I would, you know, what, what a lot of the patients do is they bring the book. To yes. You and you say, would you please read this? Now, if you have an open-minded doctor, they will. Um, and I am always open to talking to the doctor. So I tell the baby, listen, you're going to go back to your doctor. They're probably not going to buy into a lot of what I say, because I'm talking about nutrients. I'm talking about testing various things they probably never either heard about or thought about. And I'm talking about changing diets. Like, come on. But, um, but and I always say, listen, I'm happy to talk to them because obviously, hopefully, I'm well versed enough. And I, the ones that call me, we actually have very good conversations, and usually I can get through to them because, you know, I'm trying not to judge them. I'm trying to, you know, educate them. But the problem is, I hate to say, it, the other side of that is the doctors that who say, well, we speaking of we, because let's say if there are areas in the states, I don't know about Canada, that let's say the me- the, 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 the head honchos at the medical school don't believe it exists. They say we don't believe it exists. We don't believe pandas exists, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's ridiculous. Of course it exists. There's so much literature about it and pans and et cetera, et cetera. Infection triggered autoimmune encephalitis, which is the medical name for brain inflammation, is a known entity. But yet they'll say we don't think it exists. And if you're a pediatrician and you and you feel like the need to be, you know, under the under the umbrella of your medical school and all that stuff and you may say i'm sorry i don't think it exists and it's it's crazy but what are you going to do you have to then basically recognize that you're not going to get help there and go looking elsewhere that's the advice and i'm not putting the pediatricians down because listen they're trying to do the best they can they're trying to survive in a medical system where they feel maybe if they go against it they're threatened so they're going to say mm-hmm. uh, whatever the the reigning thought process paradigm is in their area but you know obviously it does exist and so what they can do is, say, hey, listen, would you, sometimes they go back and they're so much better and there's some pediatricians say, wow, what happened? What'd you do? Which to me is the logical response, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. You're like a different kid. You know, what, what happened? But some of them, and I had this one recently, just this week, where the doctor literally said, it's anecdotal. Well, my, look at my kid. The kid is so much better. It's unbelievable. They're back in school. They were out of school for three years. but, blah, blah, It's anecdotal. It's, it's like, what does that mean, that the person's not part of a 2000 double-blind placebo control study? It's ridiculous, and it's sad to me. But in that case, there's nothing you're going right. you to do. You need to have other physicians or practitioners that can help you through this, because that person's not going to do it.
0: Yeah, and move on. And I think, yeah, for sure, there's so many parents that have kind of played that carousel, I think, with doctors is, is kind of yeah. how it goes at times. And it and,
1: and, makes the parents think that also that, you know, they're crazy or they're making it up or they're contributing or Munchausen's by proxy, you know, all that, all that, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Just digging into a couple more of the treatments. So another one that you mentioned is probiotics, using those, especially when the child's on antibiotics. And I've heard so many parents talk about their child reacting to probiotics. And I just wondered if this has occurred at all in your practice, Um, because it's just made me cautious, I guess, in using them. But I also know how important the microbiome is.
1: Yeah, so I would say that, you know, when you use the so many, I, I really don't think it's so many. Yeah there, yeah, there are a very small percentage where I say maybe 5%, maybe between 5 and 10%, but that would be the highest that react to probiotics. Uh, um, and maybe it's a little more in the Pans Pandas population. But you know what? they The parents worry very much about strep because there's strep thermophilus in some of them. But this is, you know, this is group A beta hemolytic strep. It's a very different strep. So that's very theoretical. I don't usually treat them with a strep thermophilus. I just have so many probiotics without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, like, there's a good strep, strep salivarius, that I can have uh, patients put in the back of their throat before they go to bed to populate the, the nasopharynx there with this really good strep that keeps the bad strep away and parents say, "Oh my God, I can't put a strep in there." Well, yeah, this is a good strep that keeps the the bad beta hemolytic uh, group based strep away. So yes, people do re- react to probiotics. I sometimes can't tell you exactly why, but there's definitely a sensitivity, usually more to lactobacillus than to bifidus. So some I have probiotics that are only bifidus, and then you have spore uh, like spore forming probiotics that are different. And you have Mm -hmm. Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a a probiotic yeast, which is a healthy yeast. So, And we give that to prevent antibiotic-induced diarrhea. So you can isolate the probiotics. So just because somebody reacted to one, and you don't know what else is in that, if it's just an over-the-counter one that they got Mm -hmm. from, uh, you know, a pharmacy or this or that, you know, I mean, I I would say of all the supplements we use, and I have a, you know, I use pharmaceutical-grade supplements, and I have a whole, you know, uh, you know, we have supplements for our patients. They don't have to get them from us, obviously. But you know, they're they're all they're all screened. They're, they're they're pharmaceutical grade. And I would say out of all the supplements we use, two of the most important ones uh to have at that pharmaceutical grade are probiotics and omega the fish oils. Mm. Okay. Those are, I would say, out of all you know, vitamin D is vitamin D and. You know, I mean, there are differences in vitamin C, so don't get me wrong, but if I had to choose two, it would be probiotics and uh, omega-3, the fish oils, because the, you know, there have been studies to show that what went into a probiotic is not what comes out when the patient finally gets it, and uh, there may be a lot of additives in there that are problems, and also, you know, maybe the various combinations that they use, who knows, So that's why, I mean, I, I, if I have a patient that sends the probiotics, I might split them up and then go to bifido or go to Saccharomyces or go to a, you know, a core biotic, which is a sport based one. And, you know, if they react to all those, then you can't, there are a very small percentage of patients that cannot have probiotics. You might be able to give them prebiotics, Mm -hmm. which, which feed the good probiotics in their own gut. So they may tolerate that. But yes, I, I would want your listeners to understand that, Patients can react to anything. Patients can react to B6, B12. It's just the nature of the beast. They can react to magnesium. I mean, with diarrhea, certainly is the most common thing, if it's too much. But so you have to recognize that, that you can't make these statements that everybody reacts or everybody tolerates. It's just not the case. You have to be. So when I when I give nutrients, I give them every three, four days, we add one. We start low, we, we build up the dose, and then we go to the next one. Because You want to make sure. I don't use a lot of multiples at the beginning so I can figure out what patients can tolerate. And then if they can tolerate, then I can put them together. That's that makes it easier. But so you just have to understand it's not just pharmaceuticals that people react to. They can react to nutrients. And it also may be at the time you give them. So if Mm -hmm. this if there's dysbiosis in the gut, they may be having problem with the nutrient that once you clear up the gut issues and 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 balance up other issues they may be able to tolerate the nutrients so sometimes it's a matter of timing as well
0: okay no that's really good advice um One of the other things that was mentioned in the book in terms of treatments was tonsillectomy. So that one I've heard a little bit as well. And it's obviously kind of similar to an IVIG in that it's like a more serious surgery is kind of how I see it. But I just wondered what the benefit is there um, in terms of having a tonsillectomy. Well,
1: it's usually done in kids with pandas who are not just didn't respond to the antibiotics the way you'd like to see them. And maybe they didn't get IVIG, I don't know. But the point being is that sometimes in the tonsil, there are these, they're crips. They're like almost cavernous, like caves in the tonsils. And, and, and the bacteria can get deep within those crypts, And sometimes the antibiotics don't get to them. Kind of like when you have an abscess, you have to incise and drain it because the antibiotics can't get into the abscess. The, um, so, and when you take the tonsils out, Lo and behold, you culture them and sometimes you find other bacteria other than strep that weren't responding to the antibiotics. So you took you're taking the source. See what you what you're doing in this whole the treatment is you treat this the trigger of the immune dysregulation and then the other part of it is you treat the immune dysregulation, like with immune modulators and IVIG. The the front end is you treat the infection. And if the antibiotics are not enough to treat the infection, a tonsillectomy can sometimes take away the source of the strep that you're not getting at with the antibiotics, or even in terms of that other bacteria in there sometimes that are so deeply embedded, you just can't get them. You take the tonsils out and the kids get a lot better.
0: Okay, great. No, that's very helpful. As well. Um, So I just wondered, before we wrap up, if there's anything else that you wanted to touch on? Certainly your book, um, Brain Inflamed, is so helpful with all of the case studies um, and everything that's in there, just in terms of helping to spread awareness and and understanding in parents. But if there's anything else that you want to hit on before we wrap up?
1: No, I just want uh, parents to recognize, I always like parents to have realistic hope. Because it is not un, not unrealistic expectations or hope, but realistic hope. Find a uh, practitioner, especially a physician, because physicians can use both natural remedies and medications, which which can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, find someone you trust. You may have to travel. In this day and age, you can do. them. I mean, the nice thing uh, uh, with, with the one benefit of COVID is we see patients from around the world. I mean, I have tons of patients from Canada, actually. Oh they—they wow. they oh yeah. Yeah. Tons. They always had to come to see me first. Even if it was from Vancouver or Ontario, they have to come because we always had to see people in person and do a physical. But now with COVID we can, and then we can do other things by telephone or video conference. Now we can actually do the first visit via video conference so that, it's really opened it up because where I couldn't use medicines before I saw them in person. Now I'm allowed to. And I think it's going to be this way for a long time, if not forever, which has really opened. up listen, I love to examine. I'm a guy uh, that uh, examines people every time I saw them. I like, I think it's important. Put a stethoscope on, feel a belly, uh, feel a lymph gland or thyroid. I just think that's part of medicine. Can't do that telemedicine wise, but I can look at them. I can talk to the kids and see if there's a rash etc cetera, etc cetera. and um but the 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 really helpful thing is we can actually treat patients now via uh, via video medicine and then ultimately phone or video uh without them having to make a trip like from thailand or australia or england and stuff so it's been very helpful for patients from all over the world so that would include your probably listeners in canada as well
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh that's great
1: yeah, and the other thing is, you know, I mean, basically, we have a website, BachIntegrative dot com, that has a lot of, I think, very good information. It's just been redone. My son actually uh, is the one who actually manages that, and he's done a terrific job in updating it. and And we have there's, uh, there's uh, I have a company called Bach Nutritionals, which basically supplies high grade, like pharmaceutical grade supplements. And we always tell all patients, our patients don't have to buy supplements from there. They can get whatever they want. But I always tell pa- patients, you want to get the highest grade supplements, hypoallergenic, the right doses. And if anybody is in need of them and really wants to feel comfortable, they can go to BachNutritionals.com. They're, they're, they can be sure with the fish oils and the probiotics there and, and all the other supplements. A lot of the immune modulators there, they're, you know, they're high grade. You're not, you're not, and, and, you, and, and nutrients aren't regulated. So it is important. And I would say something like CBD, like the kids with pandas. I treat a lot of the kids with CBD. Mm, okay. And, it, and it's from hemp. It doesn't have any THC in it, but there's a lot of CBD out there. Obviously it became a buzzword. A lot of companies jumped in and a lot of it is junk. A lot of it is not great CBD, but you know, we have a pharmaceutical grade great CBD that, so if I'm going to use CBD, I want patients to get a pharmaceutical grade one that has no THC. I don't like to give the kids THC, which is the one that's the psychoactive one that gets people high. But it's CBD and, and other things like uh, terpenes and flavonoids. So they have the entourage effect. But CBD can be very helpful. I just gave a lecture on Sunday um, uh, to doctors. And I, 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 a portion of it was about CBD because I think CBD is so important. So um, that's all. I, I just want them to know that if that they shouldn't feel discouraged. If you, if your kid is going through like he's an, uh, he's still going through, you may want to you know ratchet up. See if you can find someone. Doesn't have to. I'm not saying it has to see me by any means, but see somebody with experience who knows how to do this. Doesn't have to be locally. You can see somebody far away. You know, I have patients that come from all over the world, and that, thankfully we can help them. Now it's obviously hard for them. To travel to get the IVs, we do because we do a lot of IV therapies, and that's been affected by COVID, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you know, that being said, there are many other things you can do without the IV therapies uh, if you can't get to a person uh, who's further away. So, I, uh, I, and you know, and supplements can be mailed, uh, compounded medications, which we like to use because they don't have the, the colorings and the sweeteners and all that stuff. Um, they can be mailed from compounding pharmacists. So. Um, Obviously, various countries have various more difficulties with customs and things. But, you know, you don't have to feel like you only have to stay locally. You can go to somebody with more experience who can maybe get you. Let's say you went from a two. Let's say I say zero is the worst. You're in bed. You're really bad. Ten is the best. And you're at a two. And now you're at a five. Well, certainly I would not be comfortable keeping somebody at a five. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to get him to a ten. That's what I mean about it. You may be able to get him to an eight or a nine. Hopefully, a ten or her. But if if that's where you're you're lingering and things are still having more and more flares, yeah, you, you you probably want to step it up. That's what I would. That's that's the one piece of advice I'd give your uh, listeners.
0: That's great. Um, and so, in order to start to see you, you can just um, visit Bach Integrative. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and then there's a way that you can you know hook in as a new patient and. Uh, Teresa, my new patient coordinator has been with me 35 years most of my staff has been with me over 20 years. So it's kind of phenomenal. They really know the way we do things. And Teresa's is great. She deals with people all over the world. So yeah, people want to see me and my nurse practitioner. I have a this nurse practitioner, Jen. She's wonderful. Um, I've trained her. She presents every case to me. So every patient who sees her gets my brain and, uh, and also, um, you know, she's just lovely. And she's less expensive. That's the truth. Unfortunately, a lot of, you know, what we do, we don't take insurance. Of course, if they're from another country, it wouldn't be. But, and so Mm -hmm. patients who finance it are an issue, Jen is less expensive and she's great. So there, I just want people to know that we're available to them. Yes, I'm still practicing. I mean, my staff worries about me retiring, but I just Mm -hmm. love the work. So I'm not going anywhere. And we're there for people. If your listeners need help, they shouldn't be shy about it. Be, they can certainly go on BachIntegrative.com and there's the whole thing about becoming a patient and stuff.
0: That's great. And definitely, I think the patients definitely need you. So that's good to hear that you're still going to (laughs) be working on this for a while. So thank you so much. I will link up to all of those websites in our show notes. And like I said, really appreciate your time today and you sharing all of this expertise. I think it will really help some of our listeners and um, has definitely helped me as well in some of my understanding and, um, and just getting a little bit deeper into what's actually going on. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: You're very welcome, Sarah. Have a great day.
0: You too. I'm excited to announce the launch of my author website, www.se-german.com. On this website, you can find out all the information about my publications, focused areas on my novel Pendulum by SE German, where there are questions for parents as you work through the novel with your children, as well as teacher resources that can be used in the classroom. There's also information about the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast and recent press. Please visit www.se-german.com. Thank you so much to Dr. Bach for his time today. I hope you learned as much as I did. I really appreciated his simplistic explanations about how Panda's Pans actually occurs moving from strep infections to brain inflammation, his explanation about the immune kettle and how he uses that to really guide treatment, and then some of his explanations as well about the different treatments and when he uses them. I think that this was a great conversation and if you've not read Brain Inflamed, I really suggest that you pick it up. Um, I found it was one that I just couldn't put down and there were so many case studies within the book, so many examples of different symptoms that have occurred and how he's moved to treat those issues. And I just think it is a great read for anybody that has an interest in Panda's Pants. So again, I hope that you have learned a lot in this episode and that you're also doing your part to bring attention to Panda's Pants. If you'd like to share this episode, that can help help as well in terms of getting knowledge out there on these disorders this month. Um, You can share the podcast on social media, take a picture of it, just share it that you've listened to it. Um, You can also share it through various groups that you're involved in, and that way it helps to get out the messages. If you are looking for more information on Dr. Bach, that's in our show notes. You can link up to his websites, bachintegrative.com and bachnutritionals.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the week. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you are looking for that advice, please seek that out from a professional. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can visit my blog, www.theallergybeast.wordpress.com or follow me online at sarah lady gluten on instagram s-a-r-a-l-a-d-y-g-l-u-t-e-n or the facebook page sarah lady gluten if you do like the podcast please consider subscribing so that you will get the podcast update every week and or reviewing the podcast on whatever platform you listen to thanks again and have a great week